Hello, and welcome to the Lost Harrow Podcast, uh, your weekly podcast for all kinds of movie and entertainment-related things. Um, and uh, joining me, as always, is my co-host, Eric Sayor. Hi. And I am Arlen Harrow, um, your other co-host for this week. Again, no Alan this week. Um, again, nothing weird there. He's just got school and stuff, so... But uh, yeah, we will be discussing, as the topic for this week, um, Star Trek. Um, and uh, specifically the newer iterations of Star Trek. J.J. Um, Abrams' Star Trek. Yes, the the reboot uh, universe, the Kelvin timeline as it is. Uh, I don't know if it's affectionately called that by the fans, but that's the title that it's been given. Um, uh Kelvin, from the fact that the ship which uh, opened up the first film is called the Kelvin. Um, so that's that's where that comes from. Um, so yeah, we're going to be discussing those movies. Um, we might spoil some things that that just might happen on all of these shows. So if you haven't seen those movies, go watch them because we're gonna we're not gonna go too deep, but we will talk about plot details and maybe you know twists and things like that. So um, yeah. And I guess uh, we will open with the first film. Uh, Eric, if you want to start off. Uh, okay. Uh, Star Trek 2009, as I call it, everyone calls it, uh, is, star is a good movie. <laughs> it's... it's uh, <laughs> It's it's a J.J. Abrams movie yeah. through and through. Like everything about this film is everything J.J. Abrams is known for. Yep. Uh, it it starts with uh, uh, Jim Kirk's dad uh, sacrificing himself to save his crew and his son, and uh, and has a. Two Spocks and a, it's it's a weirdly structured film, I think. It's not you don't know what it's about until like an hour in, really. Yeah, I feel it's, like um, it's a very much an origin story. Yeah, um, and like and that's and you could say that that's like maybe the biggest like issue. I, I might have a movie as it is such an origin story, but it's I don't mind it. it that yeah, much. it's like if you started a season and it's the the pilot and the last episode of the season. Yes. Together, yeah. Yes, if you condensed it into like one thing. Yeah. Um, and it's um, yeah, it's it's very much like introducing you to the characters. Um. It's very much like Star Trek for Beginners, is what I've always called it. It's like, if you don't know Star Trek, or if you've only ever seen, like, Wrath of Khan and, like, tidbits from the original show, that's what the movie is. Like, it's like, these are the basic characters that you might know just from experiencing pop culture. Yeah, um, just knowing their names. Yeah. I, I I have no, I had no experience, Star Trek experience before this film, and... Uh, I knew like Spock and Kirk and Scotty and uh, Sulu, so you you know the names, but you don't know who they are. Right. 
and it it does a good job of introducing you slowly to them and giving you the I think the the best part of this film is the casting. Yeah. Like everyone is great. Uh, Zachary Quinto as Spock is perfect. Um, Chris Pine is perfect. Uh, I love uh, Anton Yel- Yelkin. Yeah, he's yeah. Yeah, he's great. He's he's great. He's uh... <laughs> he's. Um... It, it, He's energetic, um, and he's like he brings something to the screen that's um, I I'm really going to miss. Um, yeah, he's so likable immediately in this film, and always a uh, fun to watch. Like like you said, super energetic and super uh, like he has a really good screen presence, even though he's very very young. He was, I think, 19 or 20 when this film came out, so... Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, it's a, you're right, it, like, the casting is what makes this movie work. It's the chemistry between these characters. It's the chemistry between Bones and Kirk and Spock. And, like, the fact that they, the fact that they nailed those three in particular um, makes the movie as good as it is. Um, because they easily could have messed up, um, and just, you know, and, and completely ruined it. Um, and because those three work, the whole movie kind of, I, th- I think it's, I think it's great. I think it's a very fun action movie. And I know a lot of people who are older Star Trek fans have had a lot of problems with the action moviness of it. Um, that's never been my problem with this trilogy at all on, in, on any level, because, uh, if you haven't seen any older movies, it's completely fine. Um, I, I, it's not like Star Wars where I, my mind is blown when people tell me they haven't seen them. Um, but it does a good job of taking what those movies did, which is they never, they were never just feature-length versions of the show. They were always something different. It was always kind of more action adventurey. It was always kind of more swashbuckling and, you know, explosions and, you know, outer space fights and fist fights and things like that in the movies more so than in the old show. That stuff is there, um, but it's not the forefront and it's always been sort of the lead in the movies. And this movie takes that, but it just like the the comparison that the directors always said is um, the old show is like opera or classical music this movie is like classic rock or 70s rock or metal even um in comparison to the old show and it's and it works because of how well how well the cast does with this material um and really elevates it i think yeah the the cast is is very much the best part of the film because the 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 plot the story it's it takes a while to mm-hmm. get started and then ends immediately this is why i said it's like the the pilot episode is the first half until uh, kirk gets on the ship and then you get to the final fight the season finale and that's a, a very little in between right also the, the parts in between are 
are the most interesting. The part where the parts where old Spock and Kirk interact, and the parts where a young Spock and Kirk interacts, and when when they start understanding each other more, mm-hmm. like which is more on Kirk's side. Kirk understands Spock through old Spock. The, the, the television comparison that you keep bringing up, it's a great one that I have never thought of before um, in, like, eight years of watching this movie. It's never occurred to me that it is kind of like that. Like, you're right, the first half is, like, the pilot of a TV show. And the last part of it is, like, the last episode and, like, the last half an hour of an episode before. Um because of all the Kobayashi Maru stuff, and like that's like the the stuff right before the finale, um, and because there is this point where it's like blank, blank years later, um, and you're just supposed to fill in what happened in all that time, um, which is fine. But you, if it were a TV show, like you would see those. I think it's three years. Um, I can't remember for sure, um, but whatever the amount of time is, you would probably see it on the screen. Yeah. Um, if it were a TV show. And I think that that captures the way this movie never slows down. Um, like, it has a crazy pace, um, and it's because it's trying to keep up with all the story that it's trying to tell you. And you're right, it does shove the plot into the last hour of the movie. Because it's trying to set up all of these origin pieces. Um yeah, it, w- it wants to end with all the origin and really finish with next movie is going to be something different and something uh, established. Right. And it, it's, I think it does this really well. It, it completes its arc, even though it has to go a bit faster than I would have liked. I feel we... We a lot of young Kirk could have been uh, not a lot, but a bit could have been removed in favor of more on ship interactions. Yeah, this would like the scene in the bar where he fights, and it's a bit it's it's it felt so cliche. Oh, I'm gonna fight the guy then. A mentor is gonna come and recruit me because I'm a. I was. I gave a good bunches. <laughs> no, no, that's not what happens. I know. I understand, but it's like. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. Though. You you have a lot of potential, kids, so you can make it to the big leagues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it does. There's a lot of shorthand, um, and there's a lot of like the Bruce Greenwood character is supposed to be like. Obi-Wan, basically. Um, yeah. And he's, you know, he's supposed to be the wise teacher, and he does save the day uh, while um, Kirk is getting beat up. Like, the plot of this movie is Star Wars. Um, it's, yeah. It's so heavily Star Wars that it's, it's it doesn't quite escape it. Um, and a lot of people compared it to Star Wars. A lot of people when they heard J.J. Abrams was directing Star Wars, got, I think, kind of rightfully mad because they're like, well, he already made that movie. Yeah. <laughs> he already... And, 
I feel like rewatching it, rewatching Star Trek after The Force Awakens, it shows that he's a much better, more confident director that doesn't have to lean too much into his style. Because mm-hmm. people talk about J.J. Abrams' lens flares, like visually speaking. And like, I think five minutes into the movies, there's like, Two of those minutes, two of those minutes when the you see a flare on the lens, and it never, like, it's, it's so much, so much more than I remembered. And I remember thinking, like, a lot of directors do lens flare. J.J. Abrams is not doesn't do more. Especially you see Star Wars. There's not too much of that. Not too much of his like, his usual style. But yeah, this movie is all him. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of the, there's so much of it, actually. There really is so much lens flare in this first movie. Um, like, it's, it, it, it's funny, because, like, it, it does it in a color, and then it's blue, and then it's red, and it, all, all in the same shot. Mm-hmm. I, got, I remember when, I think, I can't remember if it was the second one or not, they either had to add more in afterwards to make it feel more like a J.J. Abrams movie or they had to remove them after the fact. I can't remember if it was... <laughs> I honestly can't remember if it was... <laughs> which one it was. <laughs> but, like, yeah, and, like, when you watch some of his other movies, like, when you watch Super 8, it's just... There's just as much of the lens flare. Um, but there's... There's slightly less. Um, but, yeah, like, the lens flare thing, that was such a... That, that became such a joke in the late aughts. Is that what it's called? The aughts? In the late yeah. aughts. Um, and the early teens, I guess, is what we're in now. But, um, like, and it it was weird when I was watching Star Wars and I was like, I was looking for the Lens But he really didn't use them. Um, yeah, that was, yeah, that's, yeah. This, this movie takes me back quite a bit thinking about it. Yeah, um, but yeah, I do think the Young Kirk stuff it could it could have been expedited, but it's all. It's all I, I think that I, I think the scene when he's the like young Young Kirk stealing his uh, his stepdad's car. <laughs> I think it's a stepdad. You never learn who it is, but it, <laughs> and just making it explode in the ravine is. Is good. Yeah, that was yeah. really fun. I didn't remember this scene at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, I. Yeah, I think it's there. It's all there because of the callback. Because it's a uh, you know, the three years joke is a reference to how he says you know I I you know I'll do it in three or whatever. Um, yeah. Um, and like it's all that sort of, it's the Back to the Future style of writing, which is. You set up here, Marty likes to play guitar, so later on, he's going to invent rock and roll, you know, or so on and so forth. You know, you set up that Marty likes to skateboard, so later on in the movie, he invents skateboarding. Um, It's that sort of callback form of writing where everything is just responding to something else that happened, and that's how you fill out the events of a script. And this movie does a lot of that. Um... You know, you set up that Spock wasn't the best at being a Vulcan. He couldn't always control being a Vulcan. Uh, 
So that establishes later on when he gets into a fight with Kirk that he has a, not an easy time being a Vulcan. Um, and that's... I, I think, yeah, I think Spock has the best character arc in this film. Uh, you can finish what you were saying about... Uh, yeah, every, yeah, my point was kind of, you know, I can... Everything's set up to, to build yeah. to... Other a specific all, scene, yeah. yeah. It's all just else. Yeah, nothing is really wasted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's, and there's a lot of parts of that that I, you know, that's why I'm able to be like, yeah, you kind of need the scene of him getting beat up. You don't need the cliché-ness of, like, his, you know, knockoff action movie, action hero stuff. Um, I never liked that, that he was sort of like a you know, a clone of, like, a B-movie from the 80s. Um, that stuff always kind of bothered me. But, um, I guess it makes sense. Um, and, it, and I've never really liked how much they turn him into just Han Solo um, in these movies, because Kirk isn't that. Um, but, I, you know, I have a wider experience of Kirk. I have a much broader knowledge of that character, so only I would say that. Other people, if they've only seen an episode, they're like, okay, I get that. Um, you know, so that, that bothered me a little bit, uh, and as I think about the movie more, it bothers me more, but it still, it so works with the story that they're trying to tell. Again, like, this movie is about a guy who is both Luke and Han at the same time, um, and how he interacts with these other characters, um, and... I do think that the chemistry is what really makes it work. You know, it's there's a scene with uh, Zachary Quinto and um, Zoe Zaldana. Yeah. Uh, after he has sort of been, you know, shown to be emotionally unstable, and that scene is one of the best scenes in the whole movie. Um, and it's kind of heartbreaking. There's some really strong emotional sequences in this movie. Um, the opening sequence alone is really heart-wrenching. And it, uh, I think it, I remember being in the theater watching that scene and just being, like, blown away by what I was seeing. Um, and, like, I remember that's when I first saw Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, me too. The first, the first movie, the first big movie he was in. I remember thinking, wow, who's that guy? (laughs) Um, And I was so convinced that he was Kirk at first, and I think a lot of people thought that. Like, they heard his name, and they thought, oh, are they going to kill Kirk? Um, And that that sort of trick they play on the audience, I thought was brilliant. Um, And I thought the way that they they just kill off the captain of the Kelvin. (laughs) Like, they just... (laughs) Ignore... Yeah, it's like he doesn't. He wasn't. He was never there. Yeah, uh, and it, and you gotta remember, this is two thousand nine. When was the last time we saw that actor? Um, he, he's the villain or the not villain in Iron Man. <laughs> so there's this context with that actor of like, oh, I know that guy, um, and he's just dispatched, and you think he's gonna be a bigger part of the movie. Um, so yeah, that was that's always interesting to revisit. Um, yeah, this is so. Yeah, I don't know if we've covered this movie super well, but it's it's a fun movie. Um, and it's last thing maybe 
Oh, go ahead. No, I, I was. I was just gonna ask what you thought about Eric Bana as the villain. He is. He's the part of this movie that I think about the most. Um, after the fact, because he does such a good job. Um, in that, he's so good in this movie that I don't care that in the larger canon of Star Trek. His character makes no sense <laughs> because, and this is gonna—I'm gonna try to keep this as less nerdy as possible. But the Romulans didn't do that stuff. The Romulans had a slave class, <laughs> um, and Romulans never actually did their own mining or their own manual labor um, because they were too high and mighty. But he is so good in this movie that I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care that they fabricated this storyline about, you know, hard-working truck drivers of the Romulan Empire. And it's just, it makes no sense. It doesn't fit within the world that they established. Uh, because the last Star Trek, the Next Generation film that they released takes place three years before when we see them in the future. Um, when they, you know, we we meet old Spock and he's talking about the planet blowing up. Yeah. Three years earlier, they had a slave class of people called the Remans, um, based off Remus and Romulus of Roman, you know, mythology yeah. because Star Trek likes to steal things <laughs> from history. <laughs> um, but yeah, like they, they didn't do manual labor. They're just, they're just like British people, <laughs> which is really, accurate yet mean at the same time um but yeah like so yeah i but i forgot that i did and i didn't care like i was like i don't care if it it works in the film um he eric banna is so charismatic as a villain um and you really are terrified of him in certain sequences um him and his sidekick and the rest of his crew they're all really really good in the movie um and they make it yeah, yeah they they, make they, their scenes really they, work well yeah they're one-on-one -on -one kirk is always getting his ass beat <laughs> against them yeah. and like i love the scene with him and bruce greenwood after they've captured him um like that stuff is great you know he's like i've seen romulus or, or you know it's it's alive it's real it's out there um and yeah, like every every actor in this movie um, is killing it. Um, yeah, Tyler Perry. <laughs> Before Gone Girl, Tyler Perry was in Star Trek, um, and it's really weird. Tyler Perry, the most well, he claims family friendly director. Uh, he may be joining a very small group of people involved in Star Trek. Uh, Quentin Tarantino also may be involved with Star Trek. We'll save that for the end of this episode, though. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> so, those are two people you never thought would ever um, be connected in any way. Uh, so yeah, that's fun. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Eric Banner. So overall, overall, you you really like this film? Yes, I do. I think I, I think I do. Yes, it's a. I think it holds up for me. Um, any problems I have with it come from things that happen in the next movie, which is a perfect segue, unless you have something yeah. else to finish up with. Um, 
I'm, I'm just going to finish by saying, like, I like it, but rewatching it now, I feel like uh, the cast is great and the movie kind of lacks a bit of uh, straightforwardness you get not in the sequel, but the next. But overall, it's good. I just wish it was as good as The Force Awakens, which is a weird thing to say, but it's it's... I like. I remember this being really good. Then I saw the my favorite thing J.J. Uh, Abrams has done, and then I going back to it. I'm like, oh yeah, he he. This was a practice, and then he he really got better at his craft. Yeah, yeah. I think he. I think he did. Um, yeah. So I guess that's a. I guess we can go into J.J. Um, Abrams next installment um, the proof that he is not good at direct sequels um, uh, as, as I call it uh, <laughs> Star Trek no colon into darkness um, <laughs> which is a reference to the fact that uh, Star Trek fans got very angry when they found out uh, the next Star Trek movie there would be no colon in the title um, it's just Star Trek into darkness full title do, do, do all Star Trek films have um, before, before this one, yes, they did. Oh, okay. They all had a colon in the title. Um, and Star Trek fans did what Star Trek fans do. <laughs> they got real butthurt about it. Um, so, yeah, that's a thing. Um, and I, I do think it's different for the Next Generation movies. They didn't do a colon. They just did, like, uh, a line break. Um, so you knew the title was different. Um but I believe they may have colons, like, you can type them into IMDb. I'm unsure. Um, but, yeah, like, so this movie was one that... Uh, to talk about this movie, you have to talk about what happened before this movie was actually released. <laughs> um, Honestly, I was I was super excited about this film. It was, like, uh, the moment when I was the most into Benedict Cumberbatch like following the first couple of seasons of Sherlock when he was really the top of his game right. like the he was a rising star and the hobbit wasn't out yet i don't think yeah um so we were still excited about that and the prospect of him playing smog was still exciting um and like everything about him was fresh and exciting um and we weren't bored of Benedict Cumberbatch yet, um, uh, which which happens. We pick people to be really excited about, and then we get really down on them, um, and it, it 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 happens all the time. Um, <laughs> like we just do, we pick these people. But uh, yeah, it was really exciting that he was going to be involved, um, and there was a mystery around what the movie was going to be about. Um, and there was this rumor that he might be playing Khan. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, spoilers, guys. <laughs> he plays Khan. He is Khan. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch, the whitest man on the planet Earth, with the whitest name on the planet Earth, um, he is playing an Indian man in this film. Um, but yeah, it was a big... It was a big deal. People got really angry beforehand. They were hiding it. JJ claimed that his 
name was a uh, John. I don't remember his fake name. Harrison. John Harrison. Um, a lot of people thought that he might be a character from one of the old shows who had like psychic powers, who developed like almost like Doctor Manhattan level abilities. Um, and a lot of people thought that that was what the movie was about. Um, because of the weird red herring of it. And then there was the reveal midway through the movie that he is Khan. And he says to the audience, I am Khan. Um, like that's supposed to mean anything. Uh, like we're supposed to be surprised. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow, you tricked me, JJ. <laughs> I was so angry in the theater. <laughs> like... I can't. Uh, here's the thing, okay? I was on board for this movie, and I remember coming out of it enjoying it, like having enjoyed the fun action parts of it. Yeah, me too. Like enjoying the twist, and not the twist, but like the twists. The, the storytelling is there's some good and bad parts, but there's there's a lot of good in this film. So I think, story. yeah, yeah. But overall, it's kind of a really dumb movie. It's, it's very dumb. <laughs> it's so very, very dumb. And, and the, the whole con thing only makes it worse. Uh-huh. Like, just make him anyone else. Just make him, or just tell us he's con and we're paying homage to... Uh, Wrath of Khan, but <laughs> don't, well, okay. don't. The problem becomes in the la- in the third act, and I'm sure you've heard this before. In yeah. the third act, this movie becomes Wrath of Khan. It beca- it. I mean, this is why I this is why I have a problem with the movie. The third act, they deconstruct and recreate the third act of Wrath of Khan, down to every detail, except they switch how things occur. Um. They switch who goes into the nuclear power part of the ship, uh, who goes in to fix the warp core, um, and they fix, they change who dies, um, and it's it, it's it's Kirk. Uh, in the original Wrath of Khan, it is Spock, um, and that is, and but everything else is the same. There's a fight between the two ships. Um, and one ship is bigger than the other ship. Um, one ship uses the natural, you know, advantages of being in space that might exist to sneak up on them and to defeat that ship. Um, what else was there? He transports over the rockets, and the rockets blow up, which is a version of Kirk transporting over Genesis and then remote detonating it, I think. Or maybe I'm misremembering Wrath of Khan. But still, it's it's so much the same movie, um, with the same tricks, and it's just it really like it really bothered me. <laughs> and then they kind of like try to end it with this fist fight that I guess is supposed to make you forget what just happened. Um, <laughs> like you're just supposed to be so in awe by the fact that Spock and Khan fought um, that you don't realize they just remade another movie um i don't know this movie the more i think about it the angrier i get (laughs) 
it's a hard movie for me to think about. So yeah, this could have helped us predict that <laughs> the Force Awakens would have another Death Star. <laughs> yeah. <Kind of. laughs> yeah. Like, he like he likes remaking stuff. JJ Abrams. Part of why I was not as excited for Force Awakens going in was because of this. It was because the way that they handled this movie and the way in which they just cannibalized Wrath of Khan. Um, and here's the thing. The first movie that we both, we just talked about, I like it a lot. It also takes a lot from Wrath of Khan. It takes quite a bit from Wrath of Khan. <laughs> <laughs> it takes so much of it, um, but I was okay with it because they're starting something new and they were trying to sort of take a little bit of everything. Um, they were trying to take elements from everything that had come before and, you know, but turn it into something newer um, and to bring back a franchise that at the time was dead. Like, nobody can lie about this. Star Trek Enterprise killed Star Trek for years. It, it just did. Star Trek was gone. Um, I remember thinking for a good two-year stretch that we would never have any Star Trek ever again. And I grew up with it. So for me, that was a sad prospect. So I was okay with them skipping over some steps and, you know, taking liberties with things and rearranging them and changing the identity of the series a little bit in order to bring it back. Um, so that maybe in the future they could bring back the original identity but still have this, you know, these big adventure action movies. But just going back and remaking Wrath of Khan beat for beat um, that was kind of offensive to me. Uh, so yeah, that was yeah. That was bothersome. The, the thing with Into Darkness also is that it's a movie that starts so well. I I remember that that, that opening scene when they're on a a, a planet where when where the species uh, hasn't discovered like any technology like uh, and. Uh, and they're running away from them, and Spock is trying to stop a volcano to save the planet. And they have to violate the Prime Directive to save him instead of sacrificing him. And and Kirk gets his uh, captain. He's no longer captain. That that's a a really strong opening. A very interesting premise. That contrary to the first movie. It doesn't build up to anything. It's just there and then kind of ignored. I remember watching that opening scene in theaters and being. Uh, it. I, th I think it. Uh, it played before. Uh, the first Hobbit film. Thing they they showed the first like seven or eight minutes, and I remember being, thinking, it looks so good. Uh, the, the the like the, that scene visually is the best looking scene in the film, and after that it's just the <laughs> space opera, <laughs> not really that good or interesting or 
there's no new world, there's no exploration, there's no nothing that I wished for after watch after the end of the first uh, Star Trek film. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, I do remember watching the intro also uh, in The Hobbit. Um, so the first Hobbit had come out, but we hadn't seen the second one. And we, yeah. We've discussed The Hobbit. Um, you know, that episode will have come out by the time this one comes out. Um, so yeah, that's a... Uh, yeah, but that opening, that opening is the best part of this movie. Um, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's and it's fun, and it like it kind of reassures you and makes you think you're gonna get a different movie. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm trying to be nice to this movie because I want to, um, and I've just sort of written it off as this isn't Star Trek. This is something else. This isn't. And you know, part of why I wanted to talk about these newer Trek movies is I didn't just want to talk about a franchise that we had all good opinions about, or that we all you know that we were both like. Oh, we like every one of these. Yeah, everything is good. No, I think I, I like this film more than you because I had never seen Wrath of Khan. So for me, it's like it, it was. It's always like an okay blockbuster, maybe good blockbuster even. The, this I like the scene where her, where Khan crushes the captain's head. Yeah, that's, <laughs> so here's the thing. Like <laughs> I talk about how many problems I have with this movie. When he crushes Peter Weller's head, that seems pretty awesome. <laughs> they made a space adventure movie where the bad guy crushes a guy's head. Like, I kind of have to like smile at that and chuckle at that. And be like, okay, that's kind of good. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like that quite a bit. Like, I have I have problems with this movie, but there are parts of it where I'm like, okay, I see where the, you're going there. And yeah. And like we said at the time, Bendy Cumberbatch was was. I was positive on him, like really positive. I loved mm-hmm. watching for the Sherlock at the time. I think I'd maybe have a different opinion on it if I rewatched it now, but <laughs> but it's he's really like good and scary and and uh, imposing, and he he plays the villain well. Yeah, he does. He he does a very yeah. good job of being intimidating and making, you know, he makes Zachary Quinto's Spock speechless at one point because he's able yeah. to so effectively outthink him. Um, which I like. I like that stuff a lot. I like when they display how smart he is, and he's good at playing that. And I I do think that so part of my problem is them just copying Wrath Khan, but another part of my problem is them just ripping off all other movies that had already come out. Um, the fact that part of this movie is literally just The Dark Knight bothered me quite a bit. Um, like, and also, I mean, we there were there was a bulk of other movies that came out after this that were also just copying The Dark Knight. You know, and those movies aren't getting off scot-free with me. I'm looking at you, R.I.P.D., starring Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at you, Jeff Bridges. Um, so many other movies copied The Dark Knight. That it doesn't mean you get to get away with it, or that I'm going to let you off the hook. We get it. You sat in the same theater that we did, and you were also blown away when the Joker's plan was to get caught. It's not as interesting when 15 other movies do it. <laughs> <laughs> you're very right 
Like, I remember when they did it in Avengers. I was willing to... I was willing to let that go. Because it's the Avengers. <laughs> and, the, the, and you're not thinking about... I don't know... Watching the Avengers for the first time, I'm not thinking about anything. I'm just happy to see all those characters on screen and I want to watch them fight. And it's funny and it's entertaining and it's... This movie... It's not Avengers. No. No, this is... This is the movie that is after the movie that was playing on nostalgia and playing on uh, pre-existing feelings of, you know, knowing this franchise for the people who had been with it for a very long time and sort of, you know, trying to open it up to new fans. And it's the thing of, well, I'll always give you one. And I'm always going to be nice to, you know... know, I think a lot of people were willing to go see Warcraft and accept that first movie even if it wasn't great I, there was a feeling i think like that for the first star trek so you were willing to overlook some of the blemishes um because it's, it's the first movie in this new series um and they're just starting over and they're kind of reintroducing you to the characters this movie doesn't get that <laughs> it does not get that sort of oh we're just starting out um no you don't you don't get that sort of um, extra leeway with the audience, and also, I mean, that's so. That's the thing. As I said, the last act of this movie is Wrath of Khan. The second act of this movie is ripped off of the Dark Knight. The first third of this movie is just rehashing the first movie. Um, suddenly, Spock and Kirk aren't aren't okay with each other. They don't know how to interact with each other. They haven't gotten over their weird, you know, we don't quite get along stuff. Um, even though we're supposed to believe that they've been working together for, like, I think they say a year? They've been on the five-year mission for a year at this point. Um, but they're still having problems interacting with each other. Um, I, I think it's a, they go on a three-year mission at the, mm-hmm. at the end of the first one, and they go on another mission at the end of this. Right. <laughs> the five years at the end of Into Darkness. Yeah. Um, and we're just supposed to believe they're still dealing with the same issues that they were dealing with, that they dealt with. I mean, yeah. you assume that there's still going to be a little bit of friction. But they bring it all back. Like, these two people have just met each other, like, a week ago. And that they're still, like, going through the growing pains. We're s- they're friends at this point. Otherwise, the ending of this movie makes no sense. Um, so, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I have problems with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I realize. <laughs> I have deep-seated problems with this movie, but then you br- again, you bring up stuff like Peter Weller and the fact that he is from, what is it, Section 3027, I think? Section 20, Section whatever. But he's from a special division of Starfleet. Um, and it's the division, it's like their version of uh, MI6. Like, it's their secret spy division that exists for combating other alien races um and like they're a big part of uh star trek deep space nine apparently um and that's a really cool callback to establish that they have like this autonomous subdivision of star of starfleet that does like shady stuff um so there's all that kind of stuff that's like oh I would almost rather just watch a movie all about that. Um, and, like, 
maybe they run into a ship that is run by this other division and they have to fight that ship oh wait they did that in this movie (laughs) (laughs) but it's really really terrible it's so that he can cover up what he did so he can get weapons to fight the Klingons I don't why he's doing this I don't understand anybody's plan <laughs> what does Peter Weller want <laughs> I don't I don't know yeah this is uh, yeah uh, I'll let you this is a, this no it's a, I think the best part of this film is that it gave us so low expectations for the next one that yes we were blown away that that is that is fair it lowered it lowered the expectations. It's like Quantum of Solace. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or Skyfall. Yeah. Um, it, it's a very it's very much the same kind of thing. Um, look forward to us discussing Sky uh, Quantum of Solace and, and Skyfall. very <laughs> angry. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, but I, yeah. So I guess that's a good segue into Beyond, which is Beyond is so fun. Um, Beyond, Beyond is my favorite by far of those, of those three films. Yeah. It, yeah. It's... Who would have thought that the, the, the thing Star Trek needed was a Fast and Furious director? I mean, <laughs> if you'd ask me, um, hashtag Fast and Furious 6, best Fast and Furious movie. Um, if you'd asked me, I would have said he should have been there from the beginning. But, uh, no, he's... This is... I think this is my favorite of the newer movies also. Part of it is it it feels part of Star Trek, which a lot of people said when it came out. It feels like an episode, almost. Um, and it also feels the most original of any of these movies. Um, of these new, of these newer films. It feels the most like this is our story. This is not just a rehash of something that existed before. Um, and we're we're doing something new, but we're taking a lot of the material and a lot of and we're making a lot of references to past stuff. Like this movie is chock full of references again to Star Trek Enterprise, um, the least liked Star Trek series. <laughs> um, like this is like uh, referencing um, I don't know. This is like referencing episode two <laughs> in a new <laughs> Star Wars movie. This is like that moment where this where Kylo Ren's like, perhaps we should get a clone army. Um, <laughs> like this is equivalent to that. Um, no, it's it's like Kylo Ren killing the younglings again. Right. It's very similar to that. Like their ship in this movie, it's an exact replica of the Star Trek Enterprise, um, and it's it's great as a fan of that show when it was on as you know it's the last show i remember watching before it went off air i was smiling ear to ear um so yeah uh, i think this movie works so well because you know those characters and those the actors that play them and you like them all of them and it's just them having a good adventure a fun adventure <laughs> Even when like everything is on the line, but not not really. You never you're never like stressed or anything. It's more about how are how are, are they gonna save the world? How are gonna they? How are they gonna make it out? Mm-hmm. 
alive because you know they are no you don't you know no one's gonna die they're just like the 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 tone is it's it's a lot more lighthearted. You have a bunch of like <laughs> stupid action scenes, like him on the like a Kirk on the motorcycle in the middle of the enemy camp. Mm-hmm. Some of the yeah, some yeah. of the action in this movie is so well done. Yeah, and, and it doesn't matter that the motorcycle makes no sense. It's a motorcycle. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's <laughs> it's, a, it's a motorcycle, guys. It's fun. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm not complaining. I love the motorcycle. It's so good. Well, I remember when when the movie, if you remember when the first trailer came out, which admittedly, it's not the best trailer. If you go back, to watch it. until you've seen the movie, the fact that they use the Beastie Boys makes very little sense. Um, but the motorcycle, in context of in the context of the movie, it works so well. Um, and Kirk is so yeah. Chris Chris Pine is great in this movie. He has an arc, which is nice. Yeah, I love that he starts off the movie like disillusioned, and he's like, "I don't know if I like this job. I don't know if I want to even be here." Which is something that it's something that they never explored with Kirk before. Um, they did like, you know. Wrath Khan is all about him, you know, feeling like he's too old or, you know, that he's not relevant. Um, but it's never been like, I don't know if this is what I'm meant to do. I, is it the best? Is it the best I can be? Can I be more? Can I do more? Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's asking himself that and trying maybe to be a better man, even like trying to do more for the world. By being an admiral, but yeah, like you said, it's a great, it's a great arc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, and it really works in the movie. And then, and I, this, I love like the other subplots and how they also play. Every and not everybody, but most of the people do have their own plots that are all interesting. You know, there's the stuff with Spock, and you know, and calling back to. Leonard Nimoy, who actually passed away by this point, yeah. um, and the fact that you know they killed off old Spock in the canon of this new universe, um, and he's dealing with what that means, and you know it's sort of making him give pause and think about, well, maybe I should change some things. Maybe I should go back to Vulcan and complete. Uh, uh, I think it's called Colinar, um, and uh, which is a real thing. They didn't make that up. It's a pre-existing thing. Again, another really good callback to previous Star Trek stuff. Um, but yeah, like, there's some really good stuff with him, and then they, you know, they reference the the Ahura stuff, and I think they even reference some Scotty stuff in the previous movies. I can't be sure. Um, but it, I I love the the Scotty and uh, Calara interactions. Like, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like that Simon Pegg wrote this film and gave a, like his characters so much more to work with than the last couple of films. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he gets a lot of he gets a lot of screen time. Um, and he, and they are so funny. Um, and uh, Sophia Batella is Sophia Batella is amazing. 
I think. Like, yeah. This is, this is the first thing we've really seen her in after Kingsman. A lot of people loved her after Kingsman. Um, but we weren't sure if she was, like, a good actress. You know, is she just, you know, a model who's really good at playing a villain? Or is she does she have more talent than that? And she does a very good job. And she plays a very interesting, flat, comedic performance of just somebody who doesn't understand the context. Um, but it's it's played so well, but it's never played that she is dumb, you know? She's never played as someone who doesn't, who can't take care of herself. You know, she's an inventor. She built all her weapons um, because she is so clever. Um, like, that that stuff I like. And I like that she even has her own villain in the movie. Um, who's like, you know, it's the guy who killed her father. Um, and, yeah, like, that stuff is great. She Her interaction with the entire rest of the crew is great. Um, yeah. She's, she's amazing in this movie. Um, and I, I mean, we got to talk about Idris Elba in this movie. Um, he's he's a great villain. Yeah. <laughs> he is so good. Um, and the reveal of him being this ancient captain who fought during the Klingon Wars um, is. I love it. I love everything about that. I love the idea that he's from this generation that's older and a little bit grittier, and they don't understand this newer generation that they see as weak. Um, I, I just I loved every bit of that, and it's kind of kind of commenting on where we are now with you know us and the greatest generation um, and our differences. Um, I just I love. I love that, and I thought that, you know, a lot of people complained about this movie not being philosophically, you know, smart enough, um, and I I think that that stuff plays... I think that after the first couple of films, mm-hmm. like <laughs> we don't need that, that out of those movies, yeah, I don't, I don't think... Yeah. This is the, the best, this is what I feel those films should aspire to be. There is, there is a through line. There is, there's a thing that it's trying to explore. It has ideas on its mind, but the action and the fun is first. Yeah, it, it never gets lost in trying to be too deep or trying to, or, or trying to have like, trying to get lost in its own plot, like into darkness. Right. It's always very straightforward in the. In a f- fun way. Yes, yes, very much so. Um, and the fun is, and every, and this is another thing I love, every sort of action sequence or adventure sequence feels different. Um, you know, the motorcycle sequence feels very different from the final face, final space battle that they go through, and it feels very different from Kirk chasing Idris Elba. Um, and the scene, the scene in the asteroids, yes, which was, which is really, really cool and really good. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they first initially get attacked by these like drone ships, um, yeah, and that was a cool element, you know, the idea of, well, what is it like when one big ship goes up against you know <laughs> thousands <laughs> of these smaller ships? Um, and I, I like that, and a lot of 
and this is a this is a comment people had that it was kind of legitimate which is people were sick of the ship getting destroyed um which i get i get that um and it gets destroyed in the first few minutes but i was okay with it Um, like i i don't care about the ship as those movies never make you care about the ship as a thing it's just a vehicle or it's just what they are in and the characters don't even yeah that's care that much that's the problem i've had with the newer movies is the ship is kind of supposed to be a character yeah it's kind of supposed to be the 10th member of the cast (laughs) (laughs) um uh, i might be off on my math there but whatever um or in the next generation the 12th member of the cast (laughs) um (laughs) But uh, it's always supposed to be like the you know the member that is always there, and it's, it's it, it always has had a character before, and that's a problem I've had with all three of these movies. Is that the ship doesn't feel like it has quite as much personality and individuality, but I think it's because most audiences haven't had as much time with that ship. Um, yeah, know, in, in the movie, it's an easy way to. Like uh, make it seem more intense. Destroy the ship, mm-hmm. and it's like oh, you have a big set piece, and the crew is lost, and they have to get back together and get a new ship, and it's it's an easy plot device. Right. Whereas, you know, and it's and you don't have this sort of built-in feelings about it of like you know it always being this thing that's dependable. It's sort of just you know you assume that they're in a good ship and. It's kind of, you know, terrible when when a force <laughs> takes them down so easily. Um, but yeah, it's it, it works in the movie. I think in the context of the film, it works really yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is it's a fun movie. I don't, you know, again, I think the twist works really well. Um, and if you catch it ahead of time, I still think it it has so much dramatic weight to it. Um, and I think they do a really good job of, like, revealing it. Like, the fact that Ohura is the one who figures it out makes so much sense. She is the calm person. She's the person who has to listen to other people's voices and, like, you know, catch little intonation things and potentially translate uh, other alien races if it comes to it. Um, and the fact that she's the one who catches it and is like, oh, wait, that's not, that's not right. His voice is far too close, and that, that, that stuff is great. Um, I do have a problem with the the uh, the gold, the suitcase full of gold light, as it were, of this film. Um, the weapon, the weird alien weapon that gets them found by these aliens. Um, that I didn't like quite as much, um, just, just because... It was really like convenient that there was this alien weapon out there, um, but you know whatever that happens, it's a movie. Yeah, you just need a plot device to make right. the story happen. Yeah, I mean, it's equivalent yeah. to in Fast Six that they're looking for a device that helps them launch nuclear missiles. <laughs> I I've never <laughs> quite understood that either. So, you know, whatever. It's a, and you're right, it is a plot device, but uh. Yeah, like, that's my one problem with the movie. And the fact that Idris Elba just kills that alien <laughs> that was helping them hide it. 
she just kills that crew member um and it's and you just, you hold on to her dying for a very long time uh that uh, the the lady with the crab legs for hair or whatever um cool design but uh yeah that was that was odd uh but yeah i don't know but i like this movie it's fun um and Eric, I guess, if you have any sort of last thoughts on it. Uh, that's the same. I, I really like it. I hope they make more. Yes. Like this one. That feel more like this. Like a like a, a simple adventure. Mm-hmm. I, I like the idea of a movie series that has optimism on its mind. And it's about fun space adventures. And the characters like each other, and they have fun when they're together. Um, and you like all the characters. And you like and you like seeing them on screen together. Yeah, that exactly. Is, that is something that I think we need more of, um, and we don't really get it much. Yeah. I, I feel like everybody has to hate each other in these yeah. movies. Um, you know, I like Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm not a fan of the fact that. Every movie, they have to spend thirty minutes talking about how much they don't like each other. Um, I, I really hope, yeah, yeah, I really hope that's done because <laughs> I feel like they left that behind now. Right, you know, like if in if in the third movie, <laughs> it's like Rocket, why are you such a dick? Well, you know, um, uh, I was a robot, I was abused, so it's like, well, we've been through this. Yeah, and it it gets a little bit boring. So, but yeah, I really like you know space adventure where the people like each other, and not everything is dire. You know. Yeah. I I we've discussed Star Wars by this point. You've probably heard the Star Wars episode when this has come out. Um, you know, I like Star Wars. It's fine. Um, but it is very dire <laughs> in every movie. Um. <laughs> It's part of why I am excited for Han Solo just a little bit, because I'd like a space adventure where not everything is kind of at the tipping point of ending. Um, yeah, the, a movie with no like big danger. The biggest danger is that he's gonna die, and you know he's not. Right. You know, um, I, I want to see space, space adventures, space, you know, thieves or whatever, and that sounds fun yeah. to me. Yeah, j- just give me more fun space adventures. Mm-hmm. They're the best kind. Yeah. Even the not so great ones like Valerian, I I still super enjoy. Yeah, yeah. More m- more fun in space. Um, not space does not have to be a dark, serious place. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the movie The Martian, um, which uh, won best comedy at the Golden Globes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the movie The Martian, um, as you know, fun as it is to make fun of the fact that it won Best Comedy, that's a light, enjoyable movie for the most part. Um, it's a very fun movie. The characters on screen really like each other, and that's a very realistic science fiction movie, as yeah. science fiction movies go. And it's not 2001 or Solaris. Um, everybody in the movie seems to genuinely like each other and respect each other um and that's one of the best parts of that movie so i think more movies like this that have this setting and are just about people that genuinely enjoy each other's company that is that is something people can learn from star trek beyond and take into other movies 
it doesn't cost uh, hundred hundreds of millions of dollars to make a movie a good looking movie in space so let's have more of them maybe on the smaller scale more uh, so maybe let's talk about the, what we want out of the future of those films right. uh, maybe Tarantino-esque future so, this, so by the time by the time this episode comes out this may have all blown over yeah uh, there may not be a Tarantino directed. Yeah, um, written by the the writer of the Revenant. Yes. <laughs> to to oh, date us, this was announced this week, yes. and it, it and honestly, it sounds horrible. <laughs> it sounds like you, really bad. You I love Tarantino. This. And I, what you seem to be the most against this. And yeah. I get like, yeah, I get it. I like Tarantino, like right. I love Tarantino. I, I love his films. Like Pulp Fiction is a top five film for me. Right. And Kill Bill is not that far behind. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. And the the three movies we talked about, imagine another one of those but with Tarantino directing them. And that's that's gonna be weird and interesting for a bit, but <laughs> yeah. I, so here's the thing. I have a theory. I don't think that he's going to direct. If he does Star Trek, I don't think he's going to be directing the the regular cast. Um, I hope he's not, because here's if he was doing Hateful Eight but in space. Um, and it's a different crew altogether. Like, it's a different crew, and maybe it's not even the crew of a ship. It's just on a space station. But it's the Star Trek universe. It's the Federation. It's Klingons. It's all these other alien creatures. It's those elements. But it's Tarantino's sensibilities and his sense of dialogue. And his and this is one of the things I love about his movies. He is also really good at integrating foreign languages into his movies. The way that he uses French and German in Inglorious Bastards is so good that I almost didn't need to know what they were saying because he was so good at directing the actors so they had an intonation that told me what they were saying. Um, you know, just by the way that they acted and the way that they were directed. Um, if he, if that's what they're doing, I'm in, but you just tell me the writer of the Revenant and Tarantino are making Spock, Kirk and McCoy and Uhura, and it's the cast that we all know uh, from this new series. I'm not in it. (laughs) I'm not in (laughs) I do not want to see Spock covered in green blood. (laughs) Like just bleeding profusely mm. with this like, dark green you know because the shirt is purple or blue or whatever so it's this like dark green liquid all over <laughs> i'm not into that at, on any level um, i'm not into like klingons like coming on board and like blowing someone's head off um at, not at all now here's the thing this is then again, 
if you tell me it's just the movies that they've been making. But Scotty and McCoy curse. Yeah. And the dialogue is Tarantino dialogue. But But it's not going to be. He's not writing it. Right. That's the thing. (laughs) Like, he's he's writing the story is what I've heard. He's He's going to be credited with the story. So it's his idea of what a Star Trek movie should be. But it's somebody else completely writing the dialogue. And he might not even be directing the movie also. That's another thing. Oh, yeah. Like... It's very unclear. Is he just producing this and shepherding this? Shepherding this? Or is he actually directing it? I don't know. I think it's... it's In like 2005 or or 2003, I don't remember, I think he directed two episodes of NCIS because he just liked it and they're just like two normal episodes of NCIS. And I hear he just wanted to do this. He just wants to do this because he likes Star Trek. And... So maybe it's just going to be a normal Star Trek right. film. And, that, and that's what I thought. He was just going to bend a little bit and do like tr- just a Star Trek movie. Just a really fun one. And one where he's Tarantino. He can tell the studio, fuck off. <laughs> I'm doing the movie I want to do. Yeah. And you guys aren't going to come in at last minute and make me put Khan in as the villain. Um, you know, that, that kind of thing. And... And that's what I thought it was going to be. But apparently he has specified it's going to be R-rated. Um, and I don't... You don't need to make Star Trek R-rated. We have Black Mirror for that. That will be out on December 29th. Um, I, I like... Uh, um, uh, someone I follow on Twitter, Heads Fall Off. If you want to follow him, he's really good. He's a, a big Star Trek fan. Uh, <laughs> said, uh, I'm really happy that, uh, that Star Trek Discovery got the first fuck in Star the first F, F word in Star Trek, so just to rob Tarantino of that. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> I do wonder if Tarantino had that in his, like, his bucket list of things to do. <laughs> <laughs> put the F word in, yeah. in Star Trek. Yeah, but he might have the first blowjob joke in all of Star Trek. So, because oh. um, he's done that before. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how to feel about this. I really don't. Like this. There's a version of this where I could be excited, but just based off of everything I'm hearing, like I'm not. I'm not into it. I, I couldn't be less into it at this point. Um, I don't know. I, I'm more excited about his Charles Manson movie. Um, yeah. Like Fe- Featuring maybe Tom Cruise. Right. Or Brad Pitt. Or, or, or Leonardo DiCaprio. Which is... Just, just two of the three. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, the three people that everybody casts in everything. I honestly really want it to be Tom Cruise because he hasn't done anything like weird in years. Yeah, yeah, he hasn't done any. He is even in the movies where he's trying to break free from the Tom Cruise action star thing. Yeah, they are bizarrely flat and bizarrely not as interesting as they could be. 
You know, like, I saw American Made, and American Made is fine. Like, there's there's nothing wrong with the movie. I would never tell anybody not to watch it. But it's oddly by the numbers, and it's oddly... Oh, I... Okay. I Oh, well, this is happening. Oh, this beat. Okay. Oh, okay, I've seen this. I, I, I've watched Scorsese movies. I know, I know what's going to happen <laughs> here. Um, and it, it's very like... Okay, I saw that coming. The ending is the most surprising thing about the movie. Um, and it's only if you just don't look up anything about history. Um... Or if you don't remember season one of Narcos, which I didn't going into the movie, so the ending wasn't spoiled for me. Um, so yeah, like, so Tom Cruise in his Manson movie would be great, but this yeah. this Star Trek thing, like maybe it's gonna be like you said, something different, just right. set in Star Trek yeah. in a Star Trek universe, and this would be like okay, I guess not. Um, it's a Tarantino movie. I'm I'm excited by default, but I I, I like these characters and I like these actors and mm-hmm. I don't feel like watching having watched all of Tarantino's films multiple times that he's gonna he can make a film about likable people. <laughs> right, and and here's the thing: like he made the movie. He made Jackie Brown, which is the most outside of his style of any movie he's ever made. So it does show that he can do a movie that, when I tell people it's directed by Quentin Tarantino, they scratch their heads because um, they're like, "Oh wait, that's that's his," um, and that movie has a very different tone from the rest of his movies. It's still not Star Trek, but I can. St- I can see the line of like, okay, this is me doing something that's not me, but it still is to some degree. There, are some of my hallmarks are still here. Um, you know, my use of language, my use of dialogue. Um, but again, like you said, it's a different writer. He's not writing mm-hmm. the script. Um, you, you know, you know what I want this movie to be. I wanted it to be the second half of this proof. <laughs> you know what? That that could be something. That could be that could be interesting. Um, I, yeah, that that sort of tone of you know these characters having fun. That is there. You're right. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Death proof is actually tonally. I think that's the closest to what I would want his Star Trek to be. In terms of how, you know, yeah. it's, it's very light and it's, but it is oddly violent. Um, but even the violence isn't like, it's gruesome, but it's not like in your face as a lot of his other movies are. Um, so yeah, that's a good, that's a, that's a good poll. That's a good comparison. Um, yeah. yeah, like they're, the other girls are likable and they're wrecking shit and they're having fun, even though the guy is trying to kill them and they end up <laughs> destroying him. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe. And here's the thing <laughs> Death Proof in Space. <laughs> yeah, damn it. I, I would watch that movie, though. Um, I mean, yeah. Like, and here's the thing, if it if the story was reversed, and it was 
the writer of The Revenant is doing his first movie, and somehow he got Star Trek for his first movie. But hey, they almost hired... Was it Orsai? I can't remember if it was Orsai or the other one. But whatever. They were on... They were going to direct the movie for a very long time before they brought in Justin Lin. Like, eight months before they started shooting, I think. Or eight months before it was supposed to be released. Um, so it was a very late late call to change the director so I wouldn't have been surprised by that move but still and say they had hired Quentin Tarantino just to do the script I would be into that um I, I mean more into it than I am into this story as it is now <laughs> um because we only have two solid examples of somebody else directing Tarantino's work um I mean he technically wrote uh, a little bit of Desperado and some of uh, Dusk Till Dawn and, and Robert Rodriguez does a good job of matching yeah. his tone um, but also applying his style to it um, and the other examples we have are True Romance and um, what's the other movie I cannot remember the but we only have really two other big example and true romance i mean is a plus <laughs> such a good film yes yes and it again like if i didn't if you didn't tell someone that's a tarantino movie they wouldn't necessarily know and if you did true romance in space in terms of you know tone and execution um and you just called it star trek or whatever you know i could see that you know uh something very similar to you know the way that Christian Slater plays his role that sort of the sort of vibe that he gives off of you know he's having fun on screen and he's having fun with his co-stars um yeah so maybe maybe there is hope for this movie but <laughs> I don't have any so uh yeah, yeah but hey hopefully Hopefully, by the time this podcast released, maybe that story has changed somewhat. Maybe, maybe they've announced some other things. Who knows? Also, I heard the. Uh, I heard the. I, I'm reading the. Uh, article that said the, that said the uh, Mark Smith, the the writer of the Revenant, is the front runner. He's just a front runner to oh. write it. He's not like, it's not official. The okay. other, another writer is another, uh, one is the writer of uh, <laughs> Kong versus Godzilla. Uh, I think it's her own, only credited work. Really? The 2020 film. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is going oh, she, on? She, she's a, oh no, she's a Transformers 5 writer. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Can you feel my sadness? I, I, I just want to look up the other writers just to... <laughs> maybe, one, maybe one of them is good. <sighs> okay, I'm instantly uh, against this movie. Uh, Drew Pierce, co-writer of uh, oh. Iron Man 3 and writer... Of uh, wrote the story of Mission Impossible Five. Okay, hey, hey. 
what? Give it to this guy. Yes. Just give it to this guy. Yes. It, this guy from Quentin Tarantino's story idea. Yeah. Even if we have to keep the R-rated thing, which I still don't understand why it needs to be R, but I think Paramount will override him on that since they're the ones funding the movie. I don't see this movie ever getting released and being R. Um, even if they had to take Tarantino's name off the script, um, I, I, I don't see that ever happening. But if that's what they do, his story with Drew Pierce writing it, I'm in. I, I'm in. Pick, pick a director from random. Also, the last candidate to write it was Megan Amran, which I only know from her Twitter. Right. She hasn't done anything. That there's some TV, but no movies. And she does tweet uh, every day. Uh, this is the day Donald Trump finally became president. <laughs> okay. Every day, it's it's hilarious every time. <laughs> I mean, you know what? I'm looking more and more up at the, and I'm like, you know, maybe this could work. Um, but no, like things happen. Movies change. I don't. This this movie is probably never gonna. Let's yeah, be honest. This movie is never gonna happen. I don't think this will ever happen. I, I think that the movie they talked about, uh, where Chris Hemsworth travels through time somehow, um, that is more likely to me. Yeah, because he's an actor now, a big star. Yeah, and presumably that next movie would come out after Infinity War, um, so they can sort of. You know, I mean, I'm I'm assuming a lot, um, but he he might not be in the Avengers universe anymore. He might not be in the MCU anymore. Um, <laughs> so you never know. But uh, that might be a thing. So yeah, yeah. I feel like this is good a good place to end. Yeah, that's <laughs> too much Tarantino talk. Mm-hmm. Let's hope they they get someone. Like Justin Lin to direct another one of these, because that's that. That's what I really hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would love it if he came back. Um, Give one to Christopher McQuarrie. Oh yeah, he. Uh, Christopher McQuarrie would be good. He'd Curry. be really good too. Um, I mean, assuming James Wan doesn't make like fifteen Aquaman movies, um, uh, I mean. I actually would be okay with that. But <laughs> <whatever>. <laughs> the idea of fifteen James Wan directed Aquaman movies—that's a—that's a good—that's a, good, a good dream to have. Um, but assuming that doesn't happen, I, I would love him to do it. Um, you know, my, I think my dream would be if Paramount just gave Edgar Wright. Yeah, I, I was literally thinking the same thing. <laughs> like, like, I can't think of a more perfect guy to take take those reins and yeah. be fun be inventive change things a little bit from movie to movie have a strong like philosophical edge to it and like a real like theme and a meaning to the movie um let let him do the time travel movie with uh yes uh, with hemsworth yeah and you know i mean who knows? They could something could happen in the time travel that puts them back in the classic outfits and on the classic bridge. Um, that would be fun. Like even for just a sequence, that would be fun. Um, and then it reverts back somehow. Um, you know, who knows? You know, play with things a little bit. But he would be a great choice for number four, I think. Especially after Baby Driver, I think the chances of that would actually be very high. Um, because 
baby, baby driver, if anything, it um, it it changed how people were going to look at him because that was his most successful movie of, up till now. So I could definitely see that working. And you know, with Scott Pilgrim, he definitely can handle the scale and the size and still make a solid movie with a solid plot and solid characters and you know whatever. But, uh, so yeah, um, this is a good place to do our plugs. And stuff. Yeah. Uh, I'll start. You can follow me at Isir and uh, where I tweet about every movie I watch. And and you can um, you can like uh, Los Harrow on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Uh, we do good stuff. I, I endorse that. I think you have to. Yes. <laughs> Uh, wait, what? No, I'm a rebel. I'm always a rebel. <laughs> I don't run things. <laughs> I fire myself. Um, no, uh, yeah, so uh, you can follow me just about everywhere. Um, AA Haro, just in all the places. All, all of the places, except for Tumblr, where I am, spacecolumbo.tumblr.com. Um, so yeah, go there for all kinds of weird thoughts and uh, reblogs and art that I find on Tumblr that that I like, I enjoy, uh, among other things. Um, so yeah, go there. Uh, Los Haro Podcast is the flagship of uh, uh, three podcasts now. Um, so yeah, go listen to VGH. Um, uh, that is hosted by Alan, Hunter, and Connor. Uh, so go listen to that. F-W-A-Q, go give it some love. Um, tweet them, tell them that you want the show to come back, and uh, if you tweet them hard enough, it just might. Um, it's really up to that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very bad and, at my job. <laughs> and if you like this podcast or any other on our network, tell a friend. Maybe they'll like it too. Yeah, tell a friend. Uh, rate and review on iTunes. Um, that is the only place apparently that matters uh, <laughs> as far as uh, getting things bigger and getting things, you know, more popular. So any any reviews, any ratings will work um give it five stars even if you didn't like it that much you know right how you really feel underneath the five stars that are an illusion um <laughs> we'll read every word promised yes we here's the thing if somebody writes a five-star review for this show um but you just in the actual words you call us giant pieces of shit we will read that on air <laughs> i promise you um, you could write the most hurtful things as long as you give us five stars. Um, five stars, not four point five. You, you, you people, you, you, you listeners who are listening to this podcast to the end, um, and you haven't just skipped past our plugs. Uh, yeah, so that's a thing. Write reviews. Uh, we'll call you the five star club. Um, so yeah, I guess that this is where we say goodbye, guys. Yeah. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Bye.